Hey there, everybody. Welcome into another edition of Be Shafe Daily. My name is Brendan Schaefer. Alongside you here on Monday, April 12th, as the Cardinals have not played that great since we last spoke. You remember the home opener and the wonderful feelings from that game? Well, those have certainly gone by the wayside since. As over the weekend, the Cardinals dropped the latter two games of the series against the Milwaukee Brewers. Not particularly competitive fashion. Pitching gave up a lot of runs in both those games. And then you fast forward to Monday, and the pitching wasn't quite as bad as it was in those two games against the Brewers, but the offense just had a really rough night. And, you know, anytime you only score two runs, that's not a great sign. But I'm going to be particularly harsh, I think, on the Cardinals tonight because of the fact that it's a losing streak. You've now lost three in a row. And the fact that I think this was a pitcher the Cardinals could have beat beat up on. Eric Fetty of the Washington Nationals, guy the Cardinals saw a little bit down in Jupiter in spring training, is not a, you know, I don't want to rip a guy, right? I don't want to just tear the guy to pieces. But he's he's somebody the Cardinals could have beaten today. He's somebody they could have gotten one over on and maybe, you know, had a few runs put together. This could have been a blowout win for the Cardinals in a positive fashion. And look, I'm sure the guy had a great night and and threw the ball well, as Matt Carpenter said when we talked to him on Zoom. But I've talked about this on the podcast before, too. I'm not going to just say every time the Cardinals play badly or they don't score, especially every time they don't produce offensively, I'm not just going to be able to say, well, you know, the the opposing pitcher had a really good night. That's not going to work when it's Eric Fetty. I'm sorry. The guy got beat up in his first game toward he came into tonight with a 27 ERA for the season. Again, that's a sample size of one start where I don't think he even got out of the second inning facing off against the Braves five days ago. And tonight, you know, he wasn't a world beater, but he got the job done and the Cardinals, I think, should have been able to capitalize a little bit more off of him. There was one major moment, though, within this game that we're going to get to and talk about and dissect a little bit that tilted it toward the Nationals. Had it gone a little bit differently, could have gone the Cardinals' direction, and I think that could have ultimately swung the outcome of the game. And if you saw the game, you probably already know what I'm talking about. That moment in the fifth inning where the Cardinals have a potential rally brewing and Mike Schilt elects to let John Gant hit for himself rather than kind of go for the jugular in that spot in a one-to-one ball game and maybe go with a pinch hitter that could have potentially helped the Cardinals break that game open in that spot. There's a lot of reasons that went into that. Mike Schilt eventually after the game talking about essentially owning the fact that it was the wrong decision and, you know, easy to say in hindsight, but I think Mike Schilt, with the way he described the decision tonight and and basically said players are there to win games and managers are there to try to avoid losing them. And he wasn't good enough tonight with the decision that he made. Obviously, you know, there were other factors that went into this loss for the Cardinals. And that's kind of what I want to get into. So let's, let's dive in a little bit to this. Walk it back a little bit before that moment in the fifth inning upon which you could argue the game swung in the wrong direction for St. Louis, but there were other things that happened, one of which was the Cardinals not hitting Eric Fetty. He goes for the first two innings, doesn't give up a base runner. Six up, six down against the Cardinals, one through six in their batting order, and then it's Matt Carpenter in the third inning 
who gets not only his first hit of the game for the Cardinals, but his first hit of the 2021 season, and it comes on a bunt. Now, there was some goofiness in the prior inning for the Nationals where I thought maybe this game was about to be broken open in the other direction. This game was led off by Victor Robles, who hit the first pitch that he saw from Cardinals starter John Gant for a triple into right center field. And in his second at-bat, he is bunting. Like four different times in this at-bat, he shows bunt. And that was a situation where the Nationals had runners on base. And I thought, you know, you're top of the lineup. This could be a really dangerous spot for Gant. But puts Gant into a more formidable count, gets two strikes on him. Still battled a little bit from there, but Gant ends up putting him away. And from there, the Cardinals are able to get out of that inning. So then you fast forward to the third, the bottom half for the Cardinals. Matt Carpenter sees with a 3-1 count that, as he mentioned it, the shortstop vacated the left side of the infield, which left him a lot more room to consider that bunt. And the bunting continued as Matt Carpenter lays one down. Problem is, it wasn't really a great bunt. When, you, when you're trying to beat the shift, you got to get it past the pitcher into that wide-open, cavernous left side of the infield. And Carpenter didn't get it past the pitcher. Fetty comes off the mound, had a chance to get him, and honestly probably should have got him, but he sails the throw. Maybe a little bit of the favorable hometown scoring for Carpenter on that play, considering it a base hit rather than an error on the pitcher. Uh, I think that's fair, though. I don't know how much home cooking was going into that, but certainly when you're Matt Carpenter and you've got a 0-0-0 batting average for the season – uh, it was going to be really hard for a, an official scorer at Bush Stadium not to award him with a hit on that. Cardinals bench was loving it. Carpenter glad to get the monkey off his back. And ultimately, it turns into a, a nice bit of small ball for the Cardinals as later in the inning, John Gant sacrifices Carpenter to second, and Tommy Edmond with two outs drives him in with a nice base hit. So Cardinals able to tie the game there, and you feel like, okay, new life, whereas a moment ago, this could have really gone the other direction if the Nationals would have taken advantage of their situation. Instead, they tried to bunt, and it didn't work out. Cardinals can't get anything going until they begin to bunt, and they end up getting a run out of it. And so the Cardinals are right back in it. John Gant, pretty efficient, honestly. He had a couple of long innings, but in that first inning where he gave up the leadoff triple, he ends up getting out of that inning with a double play at only eight pitches. So that kind of helped him to be able to keep a low enough pitch count in this game to potentially try to get a little deeper and allow the bullpen to rest, which is something, as we've talked about, that Cardinals you know, definitely need. We didn't mention it yesterday because we didn't have a podcast, but after yesterday's game, Cardinals relievers had pitched more than Cardinals starters for the season. And with John Gant uh, not able to get out of the sixth inning in this game, I believe he only threw five-plus, 5.0 innings, did start the sixth, notably, uh, but because he only threw five total, bullpen picks up four of those innings for the Cardinals tonight, and so I think that stat still stands that relievers have thrown narrowly more innings than starters for the season for St. Louis. But the problem comes in for the Cardinals where in the fifth, they've got a potential opportunity to get to Eric Fetty finally. You think it's going to happen, but after a Matt Carpenter walk and a Justin Williams walk kind of sets things up, it's the bottom of the order. You've got John Gant's spot coming up. What do you do if you're Mike Schilt? At that point in the game, he hadn't thrown that many pitches. Realistically, if Gant would have been able to navigate that sixth inning, there was a chance he'd have gone seven in this game. I think by the end of it all, he only had thrown 85 pitches after being removed three batters into the sixth. Uh, 
Those at-bats did not go his way, as we'll explain and talk about in a minute. But there was a thought, and Mike Schild even mentioned it after the game, which I was glad he said that because I was kind of wondering, like, we talk about this in the context of that sixth inning where the, the Nationals had their big bats coming up to the plate. It was Juan Soto, Josh Bell, and Kyle Schwarber, the heart of that batting lineup. And so we talk about it and think, well, man, that's not a great position for John Gant. Get some lefties in that lineup against the righty John Gant. He will have seen them then for the third time, and they'll have seen him for three times. And so that's typically the point at which, especially in this advanced age of analytical baseball, that we start to talk about you turn that lineup over for the third time, and it gets difficult for the pitcher to be able to continue to keep batters off balance, especially if he's not necessarily on the top of his game. Uh, John Gant had been grinding through that start, had only allowed one run to that point, but maybe wasn't in, in a position where he had his best stuff. And so you're just trying to figure out how much can you count on him being able to go to that sixth inning, maybe that seventh inning. What's the trade-off there between potentially being able to get a, another run or more runs, multiple runs on the board in this situation where they give you two walks with one out? In the end, Mike Schilt obviously goes with John Gant up to the plate. He gets his second sacrifice bunt of the game. He successfully gets it down, and it brings up Tommy Edmond, who had come through in the previous spot. So is that you know a little bit recency bias going into it, thinking, well, Edmond came through last time with two outs. Maybe he'll be able to do it again. Uh, you know, I I think in my in my view, from an offensive perspective in this situation, you'd rather have two shots at it. Take your best bat off the bench, whoever that might be. And, and ultimately, we don't know which pitcher that player might have seen. I imagine the Nationals' Dave Martinez would have made a pitching change for that nine spot in the order. Instead, it was John Gant, so he allowed Fetty to pitch to him and got the bunt down and then went to his bullpen for Kyle Finnegan to face Tommy Edmond thereafter. And Finnegan able to get Edmond. The Cardinals do not score in that inning, and the score remains 1-1. One to one. For me, though, regardless of who they would have brought out of that pen— you want two shots at it. You I, putting putting it all on Tommy Edmond. Sure, you've got two runners in scoring position at that point instead of one because after the bunt it's second and third. But Edmond's got to come through because you basically sacrifice that second out to be able to get it done. Uh, you know, was it a guarantee the Cardinals would have scored had they gone a different direction here? Absolutely not. Uh, certainly not the way that they've been collectively performing as a lineup the last few games. It's not quite that level of punch that you'd like to see on a consistent basis. It's something we've talked about for several years now with this team. It's like they, they have an offensive explosion or they really don't get much much going. And, and this was a night where they couldn't get much going. And I think in that situation, yes, you want to sell out for the runs, the opportunity to score runs, be able to chase their starter from the game, be able to log the kind of numbers off of him, the crooked number potentially that – you think you probably should have had from the beginning of this game, regardless of how good we think this guy was throwing tonight, he's still who he is. And so take your shot offensively there. But I think even more than that, the conversation then kind of flips to, okay, the Cardinals fail in that spot. John Gant's going to go out for the sixth inning. And yes, as I mentioned, there was a chance he goes through six, goes through seven, and it ends up being a really great thing that they're able to save the bullpen for that night. And maybe you win the game. As it is, though, he doesn't record another out in this game. When you get into the sixth inning, top of the sixth, I mentioned who was batting. Juan Soto, base hit. Josh Bell, full pitch walk. 
which is a tough spot. If that if that goes differently on that full pitch, uh, full count pitch, and you're able to strike him out rather than walk him, maybe the inning goes differently. But after that, you give a mountain visit, and clearly it didn't work out because Kyle Schwarber, the former Cub, now with the Nationals, hurts the Cardinals once again. He's done that a time or two, and he doubles off John Gant to score a run, advance runners to second and third. And then Giovanni Gagos comes in, does a great job to be able to limit the damage, sacrifice fly to right field on a ball that Tommy Edmond, in theory, could have let drop because it was in foul territory, and he was certainly too deep to throw out the runner at the plate. Gave it his best effort, but it's just it just wasn't going to happen from the angle that he had to catch that ball and then spin and throw from how deep he was in the right field corner there. It, there, just, there just was no way. And so conscious decision, I think with one out, you could have that conversation of should Edmund have dropped that ball, like let it drop and go for the strikeout to try to, you know, not just limit the damage, but make sure there is no more damage whatsoever. That's a big ask of Giovanni Gago. So that with runners on second and third and nobody out, you take the out in that situation 10 times out of 10. Uh, and you're already trailing in the game. So it's not like that's that's the, the run that breaks the tie or anything like that. It was already two to one. Then they make it three to one. Uh, but from there, Gallegos is able to get out of the rest of the inning. Nice play by Nolan Arenado on a on a bunt. Again, more bunting in this National League ballgame. Josh Harrison bunts out to Arenado, and then Jan Gomes ends up flying out to the outfield to end the inning. So great job by Gallegos, but it makes you wonder, could he have maybe faced that heart of the order to start the top of the sixth? And maybe you had gone with a pinch hitter, and whether you got it done or not, you're in a position where it's still a tie game and you you put your best foot forward on the mound. For me, that's what it boiled down to ultimately. Like I know that we can question whether runs would have scored, but honestly, given what we've seen from the Cardinals, would it have been all that surprising if they would have still gotten blanked? And then could we be having a different conversation? Well, maybe, but I still think Giovanni Gallegos was going to go out and pitch really well. And so if he's your best option, Mike Schilt mentioned Henesis Cabrera maybe would have been an option for that sixth. Um, you know, you probably want to save Gallegos for a little bit later in the game if possible, but I'm of the mind, especially with the the modern day bullpen, your best pitcher, your best reliever that's available on that night, that might be the guy you have to go to in the sixth when you have literally the three, four, five in this batting order up all-star caliber players up and down. And maybe that's where you just, you say, Hey, Gallegos is our guy. We're going to go with him here. Could that have presented some problems later in the game? Maybe, but as we saw, the Cardinals never really got to a late-game situation where they had a shot at this thing. They only lost 5-2, to two, and they, they tried to get a little bit something going in the ninth off of Brad Hand, uh, who had a little trouble finding the strike zone. But you, know, you never had that late-game situation where you have to decide, hey, it's tied, what do we do? Because you, know, you gave up the game in the middle innings. And so playing for or trying to save guys for a situation that never materializes. Like, obviously, Gallego still pitched in that sixth because he had to get him out of the jam. Had he started that inning, could could the, the game have swung a little bit differently for the Cardinals? Perhaps. Uh, you don't love what you saw from the rest of the bullpen, necessarily, as it was a rough night for Andrew Miller. Gets into a game and can't record an out. Three hits and a run scored. Also gave up a, a walk. So not a good outing for him. Ryan Helsley. Uh, I, I shouldn't say the rest of the bullpen. It was really just that inning by Andrew Miller that he had to get kind of bailed out by Helsley, who did a really good job. One and two-thirds innings pitched, gave up a couple of hits, but three Ks. So Helsley, uh, uh, for the season, not having a great start, but 
brings the ERA down to 7.11 with those inning in two-thirds. So that tells you where he was beforehand. And then it was Tyler Webb getting an out on a strikeout to kind of get Helsley out of the jam in his second inning. So, you know, it's just a situation that it was for the Cardinals tonight where you have good games by the bullpen, and it seems like those games have come when the Cardinals have really needed them. I guess that that, that might be kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy because when they're holding these leads late, it's because the bullpen's able to get them there. And when the bullpen isn't able to get them there, obviously you're not in those winning situations. But you also have to put the onus on the offense to be able to get the job done. They never did have a lead at any point in this game, and so it's kind of hard to say that you know the bullpen blew the game when, yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they weren't able to, to kind of keep the zeros going up after the situation where Gallegos came in for Gant, but ultimately, and, and Gallegos does give up a home run, which again, that that just kind of goes to show you don't know exactly what's going to happen when you bring in a reliever. If you're Mike Schilt and you go to your bullpen early and Gallegos gets shelled by the 3-4-5, the I guess that wouldn't have been impossible either. He does give up a solo shot to Andrew Stevenson in the seventh. It was a two-inning performance for Gallegos. But, man, how bad do you hate to see Gallegos burn two innings in a game that you're already losing when he comes in? That is just a really tough situation. But it's kind of goes to the fact of what Mike Schilt has been talking about. He mentioned this over the weekend. It's been a grind for the Cardinals' bullpen, and one source of frustration is the fact that right now with the starters not being able to go as deep into games, they're not setting up the bullpen as strategically as they'd like to on a day-to-day basis. It's basically who's available. we got to put them out there almost regardless of matchup or circumstance because we just got to get through these games. And that's what that's the position the Cardinals' starting pitchers are putting them in right now. And it leads to a scenario where you lose a game 5-2, to two, and Giovanni Gallegos had to throw two innings. And he came into the game with you guys already trailing. So that's a tough situation and and not an ideal one for the Cardinals' bullpen where you want that guy available every time you do have a lead. And like I said, when they've had leads, it's kind of been like the perfect storm. Yeah, the bullpen's doing great. Offense gets you just enough. But, like, when these guys aren't winning games right now, and how? Like, they're not winning games right now. And it's not, like, particularly close in the ninth inning. I believe today there was the fourth defensive indifference within the last three days where the the opposing team didn't bother to to stop the Cardinals from taking the extra base in the ninth inning because the game's pretty much over and they don't have to worry about it. So that's not the sign that you'd like to see if you're the the home team St. Louis Cardinals performing at Busch Stadium uh, not up to their best the last few days. One bright spot from this game, Yadier Molina hits his first home run of the season and it was really kind of a cool, interesting moment where, and, and Schilt even kind of had a little smile on his face when I asked him about it, despite the, the loss in, in the last few days not going the way the Cardinals would like, he was able to kind of recognize the moment where Cardinals fans obviously are back in the stands now, and that's you know a really nice thing for, for the team to be able to have the support when they need it. And, and they've come through. In, and, and I say Yadier's first home run of the season. It's his first home run at Bush, his second of the year, of course, because he hit one on that road trip. But it's the middle of an inning where Cardinals have two outs and nobody on, and Yadier Molina up to bat in the bottom of the sixth. And the fans just start kind of getting into it, like kind of like they did with Adam Wainwright on opening day, uh, the home opener, I should say. 
in a spot where he was 2-0 and to the batter Lorenzo Cain, and suddenly they start giving him some love. They start going with the Yachty chant tonight, and wouldn't you know it, the dude launches a homer. I've never seen somebody rise to a moment the way Yadier Molina does. And again, it, it's not like this was a huge moment, and Sheldon even said the same thing. It was just kind of a nondescript moment in the middle of a game, and, and he always has to kind of offer the qualifier. Not that all the moments aren't big, but relative to, to some moments that could happen, this was just kind of a standard in-game moment. And fans get into it, and Yadi goes, okay, and launches one to the opposite field. And, and he's hitting the ball hard. So good to see from Yadi. That was about it, though, from the Cardinals' offense tonight. You're still striking out a lot. Arenado didn't have a great game with several strikeouts. Looking through the box score here, taking a look at how many Ks. 11 Ks for the Cardinals and 11 left on base. Yep, that'll do it. That'll do it for you. Although 22 left on base for the Washington Nationals. That's kind of crazy. But you had several innings where they had multiple guys on base and multiple guys made outs at that point. So Cardinals trying to kind of carve their way out of some trouble in this one. Ultimately, they're not able to do it. But then again, would it have really even mattered with the offense performing the way that it is right now? I mean, you get six hits. You get one from Edmund, we mentioned. Arnado goes 0 for and strikes out three times. Yachty had the homer. DeYoung had a nice base hit at one point in time during tonight's game, which is good to see, but he struck out twice. Carpenter had the bunt hit and walked to uh, to get on base and scored a run. He didn't strike out tonight, which is nice to see. Uh, Lane Thomas with a base hit off the bench. Justin Williams had a hard hit ball and a decent night, too. He goes one for two and walks. But otherwise, they, they just weren't able to put much together. Like, you scatter those hits, you scatter those walks where you, you get three in the game, so nine base runners. Don't believe anybody was hit by a pitch tonight. And that's kind of the story for the Cardinals. They're just not able to get a whole lot going. And I can't, in good conscience, use the excuse or or the line that, well, the other guy, you know, they're, they're trying to play good baseball too, and their pitcher threw well. Nah, I'm sorry, not with Eric Fetty. Hopefully he doesn't listen to this podcast or follow Jeff Jones or I on Twitter because that was kind of both what we're both saying before the game. Jeff basically said he's not good. I was like, well, I said not good. Hope this guy doesn't follow you. But, I mean, it's just the reality that sometimes throughout the season you can look and say, all right, Cardinals have lost two in a row, haven't played their best. Pitching's been a little bit suspect. I know you're facing a good Nationals lineup, so that's all the more reason that there are certain games you go into them and you know tonight's got to be a night where the offense kind of carries us. Because you expect they're going to put up some runs with that lineup against your number five starter. That's okay. You can you can anticipate that and maybe try to get out there and win a six to five or a seven to five game. Cardinals offense didn't do their part. And if you're Mike Schilt, there are only so many things you can do with the lineup to be able to try to maneuver and change things up before you realize the guys on your roster are the guys on your roster. And right now, collectively, not really getting it done. And look, you. you Pick, pick your poison, really. You can talk about starters, as we have, not going deep enough into games. You can talk about the bullpen, you know, on nights where it's not like uh, go get this save because we're up late in the 7th, 8th, or ninth. They haven't been able to, to put up zeros and, and, and keep them in games as regularly as you'd like. I mean, some of these ERAs in the bullpen, that's not something that's going to be sustainable over the course of a season. I, I've been talking about this bullpen throughout, you know, the last couple of weeks since we've started the season and, and definitely back in spring training talking about the bullpen as a unit that should be the strength of the team. 
right now, I know they're they're being asked to do a lot and to handle a lot of workload, uh, but you know, on the whole, not necessarily been a strength right at this point. In the games where they've needed them, in the wins, they've been sensational. Because a lot of what they're doing in those wins, they're they're covering the asses of the the starters who aren't going more than five innings in most cases. Jack Flaherty is still the only Cardinal starter to to record an out in the sixth. I think is the case. There might have been one five and two thirds by somebody. I I, I might have misspoke there. I think Wainwright might have had one, either Wayno or Carlos. But nobody has completed six other than Flaherty over the course of ten games, and you're sitting at five and five. So I know that we talked about starting pitchers. We're going to have a little bit of a different set of expectations with regard to workload because of the fact that last year was a shortened season and you want to keep guys fresh. But I'm not so sure that this is a sustainable model. And it's a great thing that Kwon Young Kim is coming back, and hopefully he's sharp because the Cardinals are going to need him. I imagine he'll take Ponce de Leon's spot in the rotation on the next uh, road trip. But I also don't necessarily know what happens to Ponce thereafter. He could go into the bullpen as a long man in kind of the Jake Woodford slash Johan Oviedo role, but they didn't send Oviedo down after he threw four and two-thirds, unless I missed a transaction. Oviedo in relief of Ponce de Leon, which, again, I feel bad for missing a podcast for a couple of days because then I realize we haven't talked about this. Um, but Ponce didn't look good. Wasn't much to say about it. Guy that came in as a reliever from Ponce in that game in the second inning, Johan Oviedo did look really good and suddenly has a, a curveball and a changeup to go with his fastball slider combo that he relied upon throughout most of 2020. And whereas I was looking at him in 2020 saying, good for this guy to be able to rise to the occasion and at least throw innings like he wasn't great. ERA was probably around five, if I recall correctly. Um, but he, he logged some important innings for the Cardinals last year at a point where they needed somebody. They needed a body to go out and do it. And he did so competently, especially considering what my expectations were coming in with him in that he had only experienced Springfield and he wasn't very good there in 2019. Like, he's still pretty raw. And so he battled with what he had last year, but he's really starting to pitch. And he's learning how to use his entire arsenal and have confidence in those pitches to the extent that, look, I know it was just four and two-thirds innings of relief in a blowout loss against the Brewers, but I feel like Oviedo maybe should be somebody they're looking at for a shot in the rotation. I wrote about him for KMOV yesterday. would love for you guys to check that out over at KMOV.com slash sports. But because Kim is coming back, I think that's the obvious answer to replace Ponce de Leon. But John Gant, I mean, I, I you, you don't – you know the Cardinals aren't going to overreact and pull John Gant from the rotation that early. Like, they're not going to. That doesn't mean I can't say, look, I think we kind of know what John Gant's ceiling is going to be in this rotation. I think Oviedo might have a higher one. And I also think John Gant could fill a role in the bullpen, the same role he's filled the last couple of seasons really with a lot of success. Maybe the Cardinals could use him there shuffle things around a bit, I wouldn't mind it. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen. And and possibly one way they do go is with a six-man rotation coming up because they've talked about that being something they're looking into. It's not that they're looking into. They know they're going to do it. It's just a matter of when. And the way the off days are, are, are structured here coming up, it might be possible to shift into that sooner rather than later. Mike Schultz was noncommittal this morning when asked about it, so we'll kind of wait and see what the Cardinals elect to do with that. But I... 
at some point, you have to say, look, we're a team that expects to win a championship. You talk about trading for Nolan Arenado. What was his discontent in Colorado? The fact that they weren't putting the competent roster around him to be able to gun it and go for a championship against some of those tough teams out in the West. Well, you don't have very many tough teams in the Central. I don't think it's going to be that kind of division this year. Uh, the, the Cubs got beat up on by the Pirates of all teams over the weekend. I, I, you know, it's wide open at this point. I think the Brewers, you know, if the Cardinals don't start shaping things up, the Brewers would would quickly morph into my favorite for the division because I've I said in the beginning of the year when I did my predictions, I think the Brewers actually end up with a wild card spot, and the Cardinals do go ahead and win the division. But the Cardinals are going to have to kind of shape things up a little bit uh, to be able to maintain that. But look, ten games in. A 16th of the season is all we're talking about here. And the Cardinals are treading water, basically. When they win, they look really good, and they're doing some great things. When they lose, you know the story there. So trying to find a way to, in the games that you're going to lose, which you're going to lose games, you know, play a little better. Be able to make it so some of those times you can actually steal a win out from a game that should be a loss. Whereas it feels like so far when the Cardinals have been winning, They've, they've been winning close games like when they can get into them, but it's almost like they've got, they find a way to get the upper hand in those, and then the bullpen locks it down. We haven't seen the real come from behind necessarily. You know, you're kind of tied late. That's happened. I know the home opener, I think they trailed, but it's just one of those things where it's almost like they have to be convinced that, hey, this is a game you have a chance to win. Go do it in order to have that resilient mentality. We can talk about how this is a resilient team, but you know, when you only do it so often, you know, what does that get you? When when you have a situation like today, this was a game that could have been certainly when you come into the game before and you see the pitching situation, I, last time I'll bring up Eric Fetty, but this was a game when you come into it, yeah, you look on paper and say, we need to try to figure out a way to win this game, snap the streak. But then when you aren't able to score and you had the opportunities that you did, I know Mike Schilt kind of fell on the sword talking about his bad decision with John Gann, etc. But in reality, there were so many other ways the Cardinals could have brought this through. And they, for a 5-2 game, they just were not remotely competitive. It, the, it's one of those situations where you say the game wasn't as close as the score indicated rather than, well, it was closer than it looked. No, this time it was kind of the opposite. It was it was more of a, a a deficit for the Cardinals than three runs that it ended up being by the end of it. Because once once that's once all that went down in the middle innings, and I mean, sure, you get to you get it to three to two with Yachty's home run, and you go into the seventh only down by one run. That's anybody's ball game, certainly. But it was kind of like Andrew Stevenson gets the solo home run off of Geo in the seventh. It's like okay, air kind of comes out a little bit. I don't really think they're going anywhere tonight. And from there, you know, again, I always get the benefit of hindsight when I'm talking about games on a podcast, but that's kind of the way it felt at that point in time. Even in a two-run, four-to-two game, the Cardinals just were not quite that resilient bunch in this game. Too many strikeouts, too many, you know, quiet innings, quiet at-bats. So we'll see what they're able to do as uh, they then turn the rotation over once again and be able to get going with Jack Flaherty, but I get—I haven't looked yet, but I assume that means you're going to have to see Max Scherzer here coming up, which Cardinals saw plenty of him in spring training, uh, but that's not a guy you want to see with the, the games beginning to count. 
It's going to be Steven Strasburg on the mound for the the uh, Washington Nationals in Game Two on Tuesday, and then the Cardinals and the Cardinals, of course, throwing Jack Flaherty in that one. And then on Wednesday, it's a day game, Joe Ross. So I guess not. I guess I I need to brush up on my Washington Nationals uh, starting rotation because Ross is listed as the uh, scheduled starter for Wednesday against Adam Wainwright. So. Cardinals have their two pitchers on the mound that they should want to be able to bring things back the next couple of days. Wayno with an 8.22 ERA is going to have to improve off of what he's done so far. Uh, Flaherty's coming off a good start in Miami, though, so he'll look to be the stopper for St. Louis on Tuesday as the Cardinals try to get back above 500, see if they can't make a series out of this thing. The Nationals have gotten off to a rough start. Today, only their second win. They're now 2-5, and five, but you remember they started the season with a lot of these main players on the COVID list. You know, we, we didn't get a sense, I don't believe, of who had it, who didn't, who was just contact tracing, etc. But they had their own little mini blow-up with the, with the virus as the season got underway. Their first few games postponed, and then they had to play a little bit shorthanded. I mean, they had a full roster, but it, it wasn't the guys that they entered the season expecting to have as they were closing up shop in spring training. So as as things look right now, the Reds are on top of the division in the NL Central with a 7-3 record. But they beat the Tar out of, you know, they beat the Cardinals, first of all, in Cincinnati to open the season. And then they crushed somebody else in the division. I think it was the Pirates, uh, those next three. And so they're kind of still basking in the glow of that a little bit. Brewers 6-4, and four, Cardinals sitting in third at 5-5. Five and five. Cubs four and six, and the poor Pirates already three and seven, right where we expect them to be. But the fact that they beat up on the Cubs a little bit, that was a little bit surprising. So we'll see if the Cardinals can't keep the Nationals down there in the basement of the uh, the NL East. They're loaded up though with their roster now. They've got a really good lineup. I have a hard time believing the Nationals are going to stay down uh, where they are right now at two and five. So we'll have to see how the rest of this series unfolds. We're going to be getting back to doing the regular podcast now that we're back into the swing of things. In the week, sometimes on the weekend, it'll be a little sporadic where I don't do the podcast on the weekend. I know people like to commute during the week, so it's often going to be more, uh, I hate to say profitable because I'm not making any money off of this yet. Maybe someday, but more profitable, more sensible to have drive time podcasts for people to wake up to when they go to work or come home from work, whatever, during the weekdays. Sometimes the weekend is going to be a little more sporadic but then when you have off days baked in during the week i'll try to throw in an extra one over the weekend when i can as we get rolling here with the cardinals season to make sure you don't miss anything go ahead and subscribe to be shaped daily so that you are caught up on all the episodes when they drop you can go over to apple podcasts google Podcasts, spotify is another favorite hub Make sure you click that subscription button so you're locked and loaded with be shaped daily throughout the rest of the Cardinals season I'm going to kind of take things from here and wrap them up because it's past midnight and I'm pretty freaking tired. So appreciate you guys once again for listening and we'll talk to you next time.